Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you're having a fantastic day so far. As always, really appreciate every single person who tunes into the show and you're in for an absolute treat today as I sit down with Reese Livingston. So Reese is the owner of Lionstone Physiques. He's also the host of the From Lambs to Lions podcast and he's a business mentor to business owners on the road to making their first million dollars. And this conversation uh, was an extremely enjoyable one. Um, I was very fortunate to be a guest on Reese's podcast recently. He has an incredible facility, a gym facility, which is actually closed off to the public. They use it for content for their fitness business. Um, He also has an incredible podcast studio, which we're fortunate enough to use for this episode. So a big thank you to Reese. But in the episode today, we cover a number of different topics ranging from scaling your online coaching business whatever online business you have, the difficulties of running your own business and the problems you may run into along the way and and how Reese approaches the problem-solving side of business, which was some really cool insight. And we just touched on a number of different things and it was a really enjoyable chat. So again, a big thank you to Reese for allowing us to record the episode in at his incredible studio, which if you watch the video episode of this, uh, this podcast, you'll see um, it's an incredible fit out inside that podcast studio. Um, definitely inspiring, something that I want to continue to work on in terms of evolving our studio as well. But guys, if you haven't hit the subscribe button already, make sure you do to catch up on all of the, the previous episodes with our incredible guests and to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes as well. But for now, let's get stuck into the episode with Reese. Weird being a guest I'm in here. Strange. It would be weird being a guest in your own studio. Have you ever done a guest episode in here? Of myself? Yeah. No. No? no I've well, never, I've first never. time. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. Thanks for having me in here, man. I appreciate it. Um, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, brother. Um, how have you been? Been good, man. Been good. It's a it's an interesting time in business at the moment. Interesting time in life. Things have been pretty crazy, pretty uh, scary, mm. interesting, fun, all in between. So, not been bad. For the, the listeners of the show and um, and just for my own interest as well, like where did all of this start for you? Like obviously, you know, I come in here, you've got this beautiful gym, beautiful studio, your businesses are thriving and whatnot, but I'd love to understand like how that whole process even started. Like what what did your business look like day one? Day one, I didn't have a business, man. I don't think anyone has a business in the first two years probably. I think that most people are just trying to survive in those first two years. But for me, it was... Um, in-person personal training uh, in a you know, commercial gym. Started there and thankfully got, I guess, picked up by a couple of people that I now look back at some like my first mentoring experience, first mentors that were smart and educated in the industry. And um, they showed me that there was a passion for education and showed me that there was a possibility to use that as a, I guess, a vehicle forward mm-hmm. in the fitness industry. So I started to learn, started to grow. I really failed a lot in the beginning. I was a horrible personal trainer. Like, <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know what to do, man. I, I remember one of the senior PTs in the gym at the time asking me, he's like, oh, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he's like, well, do you want to do like coach bodybuilding? Do you want to do like fitness stuff? And I was like, I don't even know like what the options are. I didn't even really know that personal training was a viable career or job. So I kind of just started swimming and started trying to swim in very deep water and figure it out as I went. But I don't think I signed my first client for the first nine months. 
Um, sort of 30, personal training, kind yeah, of. Yeah. 30 bucks a session. Thought like the only way forward was to just charge less. Yeah. And that was the price that someone finally said yes at. And that kind of like got me moving forward. And, you know, then from there, it was just like volume, volume, trained heaps of people, moved up to like, I think at my highest 70, 75 sessions a week in person. Um, realized that half hour sessions, uh, 45 minute sessions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So pretty solid. Yeah. It was a lot of work, uh, a lot of hours, but I realized that time was the enemy eventually. And then that's what kind of sparked the interest in actually running a business, not just trading time for money. Mm. And what was the biggest shift that when you, you say actually starting to run a business? Cause I feel like a lot of particularly initial like sole traders and, and people within the fitness industry or people who have a passion for something that gets turned into a business but actually have no real business experience previously tend to make a lot of all of the mistakes. I know I definitely did. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things you just never really consider or, or you never put much thought to because you're so focused on this passion that you have for whatever it is, whether it's coaching or whatever it may be. And you just think it's all going to take care of itself and it comes back to bite you in the ass. So when you decided to transition into actually running things as a proper business, what were some of the main pillars that you had to instill initially to actually make that happen i think um to your point that people most often like make all the mistakes in the world i think for me i didn't really have a passion to be honest i didn't really have a passion for fitness i was kind of just doing pting as a means to an end i just it was something to waste some time with yeah. so kind of rewind a little bit i didn't do i didn't do too well in school kind of pulled out didn't do exams just kind of went on holiday yeah um and like was just convinced by my parents that oh, you need to do something. Mm. So I trained and like, well, I'll just apply to do that and get qualified to do that. And that kind of just led to a job opportunity. And then it was like, well, I may as well. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I was ever especially passionate about you know, helping people. I think that's the most common thing that people mm. say they get into the fitness industry because they like to help people. I wasn't really passionate about it, to be honest. I was just, it was a means to an end. It was just, let's kill some time and figure it out as I go. Mm. And, um, it just so happened that like. I realized that I actually kind of got good at it. I think people, I think people always assume that passion comes first, but I think skill set actually precedes passion a lot of the time. If you're good at something, then you get passionate about it and then it grows. So for me, it was just like, oh, well, I got good. So I may as well drive this as a passion. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I realized like what I think the biggest pillar for me was just time. Like turning into an actual business was just time. It was, I was wasting, you know, 75, I don't know the math on that, 75 times 45 minutes across a week in the gym on horrible hours and at the time a relationship broke down because i was just not there mm -hmm. i was just at work yeah. and i was always very much like oh, i'm doing it for our future i'm doing it for your future and i was young it's like what future like i didn't even know what was coming next week mm -hmm. so i didn't really know how to explain all the work i just liked work and then realized that okay well relationship broke down i haven't seen my friends in months i've got some decent cash in the bank but don't do anything with it yeah so I kind of realized that I need to, I need to find a way to try and do all the work, but also have the time to do other shit. Stop trading time for money all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so this is that the, was that the birth of the online side of things? Yeah. I was very lucky and I, I like luck. I, I, I'm going to say it was luck that online coaching when I got into it wasn't a thing. It was very early days. Uh, I remember I'd actually hired a coach at the time who was in Sydney and he was my first exposure to online coaching. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I remember saying it? to him, his name is James Cunt. He's, oh, yeah. uh, I think he's Australia's first men's IFBB pro. Mm -hmm. And that's with a goal. That was a goal set of mine at the time to compete and do well. And um, I had him. And I remember messaging him, be like, oh, man, I'm actually coming to Sydney next month. Do you mind if I come into 
the gym and do some sessions with you, just assuming that's what he did. Like, I don't do any sessions. What do you mean? And I was like, oh, this is an actual thing. All online, yeah. Yeah, it's all online. So that's where that kind of birth that, like that idea was conceptualized there, grew into that role. And just, I, I just, like every PT, tried to do the personal training stuff in the gym, tried to kind of alight the fire for the online stuff on the side. And until a point where I realized like the only way to make the online thing happen is if you leverage the in-person to grow it. Mm-hmm. Most people were, especially back then, like social media wasn't what it is now. Yeah. So sitting around waiting for people to inquire for the service for an online service that didn't really, it wasn't really popular at the time. It wasn't really normal. Mm-hmm. It was slow. So I just look at all the gym leads that I was getting, like I was full in the gym and I just started to leverage that time. I'd still take consults. So look, I have a waiting list. You can't work with me in person, but you can get a program and your nutrition taken care of week in, week out. And I'll just touch base with you in between. Mm. And that was like the birth of the online stuff. And what, what was the, how are you delivering that? Like programming and nutrition? Word docs, bro. Yeah. I was the same, bro. I was yeah. like fucking Facebook inbox and yeah, email, weird. PDFs. It's come a long way. Yeah. It's come a very long way. I can't imagine running the business that we run now, like, and like hiring staff and just be like, here's a Word doc. Like, yeah. Program for your people. And so what was the reception like from clients, like in terms of the buying? Because as you said, online coaching was still not not necessarily a, a big thing and, and a common thing. Um, or for someone coming to the gym for the first time, they were, they probably weren't coming in considering, hey, maybe I should just do coaching online. It was like, I need to see a trainer. So how was the response from those clients? And, and did you find, were you enjoying the, that, starting to enjoy that more than training people face-to-face? I think it's a very much a, it depends kind of answer. I positioned it poorly at the beginning, so it was a bad reception, right? It was just like, I don't have time, so do this instead. And it very much like was positioned as an afterthought and not many people would see the value in that way. Mm. Whereas when I started to actually explain the process of like, well, what you pay for with a PT is realistically not for someone to stand there and count your reps, but the value you actually get is in the time that you, in in all the time outside of the gym. And coming back to my first exposure into the industry was education. Mm. Like what you actually value is learning how to do this on your own. So why not take the training wheels off and go do it on your own? And I can just be there to hold your hand a little bit. Definitely. And so from Word Docs, what was the progression from there? Um, and I'd, I'd love for you to also give the the listeners an idea of what it kind of looks like today and the ins and outs of the deliverables with clients, um, you know, how the actual business is structured around staff and, and, and the coaching and how you've kind of delegated your time to be able to focus on the things that you really enjoy or need to do i think from a like if we reverse engineer this reverse engineer this from where it is now i don't i'm not client facing at all i don't coach at all all i do now is like help you know businesses in our industry help move help them move forward and scale so the deliverables have changed substantially for me along the way so you know now we have fully customized spreadsheets that automate our processes that allow us to see red lights and green lights, compliance rates at, at a glance in a dashboard. And that realistically has created so much efficiency that we can deal with now each individual each individual coach that I have working for me can work up to maybe 75, 80 clients a week. Right. And we've got a team of six and that process has been built over, let's say six years of online coaching, six, seven years of actual online. So... Each iteration was different. Started at Word Docs, went to PDFs, went from PDFs to spreadsheets, were horrible and confusing. From spreadsheets, trialed an app, didn't really, didn't really like the way that we could actually project our service through an app. Went back to spreadsheets, made them better. Um, but everything along the way is like every time I iterated, it was more so a process of like, what can we actually take from each each version of this mm. 
and take it into the next so that it's just as user-friendly as possible because at face value, spreadsheets aren't very user-friendly. Mm -hmm. So we needed to make sure that they were user-friendly, easy to understand, but also made our job super efficient. And that's just, it's just been a time process. And what's the process like now getting leads and bringing in clients that haven't come across you, your content before, or how are you, how are you kind of bringing in new leads and clients? We've never done any paid marketing, thankfully. So our, all of our lead gen is like automated. So we either do some sort of like lead nurture process where it might be like a, a downloadable asset for everyone at home. If you do run like a, uh, any sort of business really, and you're going to have any sort of downloadable asset, gone are the days of just having a PDF for people to download and work along at their own pace, in my opinion, at least. I think to do this well, you need to really target the three learning centers of how people understand information. So auditory, visual, and if you can, kinesthetic. So all of our downloadable assets not only are written, and but they also come with an audio version, like an audio book, and then they also have kinesthetic tasks, like go do these things so you can put what you've learned into mm. practice in real life. And that's been a big difference for us. Like we've actually had an engagement rate of like, our stuff that people download, they continue to download the next thing because they know what to expect. And that right. builds our pipeline and bolsters that top of funnel. So we have more people with eyes on learning our stuff, getting familiar with our like our personalities internal to the company. So all the education within all of these systems are like coach ran. So not by me. Okay. So I've tried to remove like any sort of key man syndrome to the company in the hope that if one day I ever did want to sell the company, it's not associated to one person. It's actually a brand or a team of people. Mm-hmm. That's been quite successful. We then have a lot of automation off the back of that. So anyone anyone that downloads any of our stuff, you'll get pestered by a robot version of me. It's not me. Um, and Via email? Yeah, via email, via text, via voice. Right. So they'll get like pre-recorded voice messages of me where we then use AI to interject their name. Like say, if you downloaded our ebooks, like we've got a, a name list of people that takes my pre-recording of like, thanks for downloading the thing. It says, hey, Danny, thanks for downloading the thing. And it's just a voicemail direct to your, your like phone, it will do it like a, a fake ring and auto ring, hang up as soon as you pick up the phone, but then you'll get a voicemail of me being like, hey, Danny, you downloaded our thing. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. That's fucking hectic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So how, when you talk about even people getting into the funnel, if you're not doing paid advertising, how does someone who isn't already in that, your kind of world or within your social media space, how do you generate new clients and leads? I'm going to, I say this quite a lot and it might be a little bit polarizing for a lot of people, but inefficiency is a luxury if you're not big if you don't have cash flow if you don't have you know systems right if you don't have automation if you don't have capital to build all of that stuff you have time and time is one of the biggest opportunities of leverage and there is very few times in your journey along business that you'll have more time than you have now as you grow you get less time yeah much to contrary belief as you grow it gets easier yeah and you delegate a lot of the time out to other people you outsource but if all you do is outsource and then do nothing with that time you won't grow mm. So you actually get less time as you grow to a point, right? So use the time you have now, do it manually and do all the stuff you can. So the way we did that was an omnipresence approach at one, at any given time throughout a week, we were doing 250 pieces of, um, video, short form video content across all platforms. 250. Yep. So we're talking what Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you have someone doing that full time? In-house. In-house. Initially. Like to, to build the system, you have to do the hours. Yeah. And create the predictability that comes with that. So I firm believe, I'm a very firm believer that, you know, people don't grow businesses, systems grow businesses, systems facilitate people and people then move forward, but you need the systems first. Mm. 
to build the system though, it's like, it's a never ending cycle to build the system. You need man hours. Yeah. You need to test it. Yeah. So rather than build all this automation and all these like, and hire someone full time to do all of that posting schedule, I need to actually prove the concept first. Yeah. So we like started the concept at 30 short form videos across a week. Great. Did we see an increase in engagement or inquiry rate? Yes or no? Yes. Directionally correct. Push it up. Mm-hmm. And we just kept pushing our ceiling until we found like a diminishing return on time put in yeah. versus directional like correctness. Mm-hmm. Like, are we getting any more legion? And once we started getting less or no more through extra input, okay, cool. We found our ceiling, outsource higher appropriately. That's crazy. And is that content educational, motivational? What type of what type of content we're we looking at? I think the biggest thing, like I, I can give you anecdotal evidence. We've done everything. We've done everything from um, educational. Uh, we've done from like humorous. We've done um, just world event based stuff, people by people. Mm. So anything that actually shows personality, yeah, is the has I've seen the largest influx into that top of funnel that actually results into like people getting a little bit more curious. So they've got, we've got a few different phases of like a customer journey. You've got awareness and then like someone starts to become, when they're aware, they then start to consider you, right? So that awareness campaign, the only, only thing you need to do is capture attention. Mm. You do that, that's probably going to be with your personality. Yeah. So just lean into who you are. When you first decided to, as you said, treat it as a business and you start to branch out and you look at how you can start to make more effective use of your own time and start to delegate and whatnot... What was the hardest part for you personally about having, you know, because when I look at it from my perspective, right, for people who start their own business, sole traders, whatever it may be, it's almost like your business is your baby. And, and yeah. I think for a lot of people, a mistake they make, and this includes me, is trying to do everything yourself because, you know, no one's going to care about it as much as you do or this, you want everything to be your way, whatever. How was the process for you of just starting to delegate stuff to other people? And, and what were the initial things that you were actually delegating? I think, I think it's. I think what you said there is completely true. That not only is it normal, but almost expected that that delegation process is extremely hard. And the statement that you made there is like, you know, no one's going to care about it as much as you will. That's factually true, right? So, just because that is true doesn't mean that like the opposite and opposing is not true. So, mm-hmm. just because someone doesn't care about it as much as you doesn't mean that they won't also put in the work if you do it well. If yeah. you if you build it well. So I delegated based off, it's interesting. I think there's, there's two ways you can look at this. I can go down the road of like what I personally did, but like, I think what I personally did may not be appropriate for most people. I delegated based off a hate or like essentially a, a a scale of hate or desire. So if I hated the thing, I would delegate whether I was good at it or not, whether I was efficient at it, if it just annoyed me, I delegated. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was a decision for me because I was just, that was essentially from a decision fatigue perspective. Every time I hated doing something, I got slower at doing it. And I was yeah. really good at doing things like video editing. I can do that. Like I've got a very uh, you know, big history or big background in creative marketing or creative digital media kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I did in school. I was horrible at school, but you'd always find me in an art room or in a media room. Yeah. So I couldn't do it. It's a skill set that like I have, but it's fucking tedious sitting yeah. there just tapping away at a computer, mm-hmm. clicking, you know, cut copy nah not me mm. so i delegated that out based on just because i didn't like it yeah so and i think from a control perspective if like there's a business owner at home going like okay my business has hit the point where i need to delegate but no one's going to care as much as i will focus on the things you don't like doing because it's easier to let go yeah rather than only delegate the things that are such critical tasks because mm. that would ideally be the things that objectively yeah would make more sense yeah the critical tasks that you can employ someone that has a better skill set than you 
go employ them to do it. Play to your weaknesses. Correct. And the strengths, yeah. But like for me, it was just, I struggled with that control factor. So mm. I just said, no, I'm just going to relinquish all the things that I hate and see how we go. And so what do things look like now on a day, day-to-day basis for you throughout the week? Interestingly enough at the moment, very much what I said before is very true. Like we've grown and we're at our highest point. Um, with, you know, we're turning over multi-seven figures a year now and we've got a large client base, a large acquisition run, but I'm busier than I've ever been mm-hmm. purely because we've grown into this, we've grown into a point of constraint recently. So a lot of like, a lot of our acquisition now is coming through international pipelines. So it's like US um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of Europe. Wow. So the just through organic like, content. Yeah. Yeah. So That's thankfully crazy. like through TikTok and like, we've also got a couple of clients that we've, um, we've sponsored on TikTok that know, know the platform that essentially know what they're doing. They were clients originally, we never paid them to do content. They just posted content and it worked and we're like, Hey, do you want to keep doing that thing? And we'll just coach you for free. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's really started to drive things forward and created a lot of momentum, but outside of our scope in Australia, which is good, but again, proving concepts. I'm instead of going to hire an international sales force, I want to prove that we can actually land these people, relate with their problems, because culturally there may be differences, and we not be able, we may not be able to actually solve their issues in the way that I see fit. Mm. Like I'm very big on providing like an infinite scale of value, and if I can't understand the person's problems, and we as a company can't understand someone's problems that are in Sweden, mm-hmm. should we sell to them? Yeah, exactly. So, and that's something that I've said to the team top down is like, the sale is your call. I'm never going to put any like um, pressure on sales KPIs. My team are great at sales. I've trained them very well. But if you get on a call and you can't resonate with the person, you don't feel like the person's a good fit, do not sell. Mm-hmm. So right now, myself and- if it's one not of, a moral fit, then it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. yeah. So right now, myself and one of my other staffs, Pat, he's, um, and he's been an absolute lifesaver in this. And he deserves a, a lot of credit for what he does. Um, we've been doing some pretty long hours, man. We've been doing from like generally 10, 10 p.m. to about- four or five AM of just international sales calls, prove that we can actually, you know, still relate with their issues, sell at the same percentage of conversion. Mm. And when we have enough data to suggest that that's still all good, I'll hire an international sales team. So day to day right now is just a lot of calls. So they're so so they're downloading a lead magnet or whatever and they they're getting, you know, audio, visual and then kinesthetic kinesthetic yep. yeah. yeah. Um and then what you're basically getting their email and their contact details, and then it goes. Then you then they book in for a sales call. We have we have a few different like so it's a not only do we take an omnipresence approach to content, but we take an omnipresence approach to like nurturing. So let's say they download the asset. Um, one of our assets in, in particular, right? They they download it. It has you know not only just the information, it has videos, and it takes them to a course. So it's an actual course that they get like graded on, right? Um, once they've uh, completed more than 20% of the course, they then get redirected with just a, Hey, congratulations, you're 20% of the way through. You can actually book a call to go through what you've learned so far. Right. So that takes them through one funnel and that funnel is just essentially an education based funnel. You've learned this, this is what you can learn next. Do you want to jump on a call and clarify anything? And that call is just like a clarity call that then if they're a good fit, we then push into a sales call anyway. Right. If that, after that 20%, we don't have a booking rate, we have a text follow-up system where They've achieved their 20% mark on or 20% completion of their course. They downloaded this asset. Hey, here's another free asset. So over the course of 10 days, I believe at the moment, it's they get a gender-specific program. So we've got gender types throughout our whole automation, mm-hmm. male and female, gender-specific program in gym or at home, they can select. So it just gets taken to a G drive, very simple. Select your program, go have fun. Yep. We then have two recipe books go out in the next 10 days. And then the fourth contact point, so we've got 
that um, essentially the the secondary asset, mm-hmm. the two recipe books, and then that fourth contact is a hey, do you want to actually book a call? We can go through this. Yeah, right. And then there's if we get left on red, the the people that leave us on red, they just get beaten into submission, man, with like automated follow ups, and it's just like you know the um <laughs> there's a meme of Kevin Hart, and he's yeah. just standing there, and he's like just blinking. Yeah, <laughs> bro, they just get that like on repeat. Um, it's hilarious. It's pattern interrupt, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, so many people are used to downloading shit and having no, and they're just getting sold to. Mm. So we try and go down the road of like Gary V, give, give, or jab, 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 right hook. Mm. So we give them a bunch of stuff first before we ask for that booking. And when we do ask for that booking, if they leave us on red, we just pattern interrupt like crazy. And are they, so what's the, what are their options once they're signing on? Is it long-term, yeah. um, coaching? Yeah. So we have two options. Uh, we're, I've made a, a I guess a strategical choice to be one of the most expensive in the market for what we do. So we charge upfront and we charge when we're pretty expensive for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, one, from a cash flow perspective, I'd rather have the influx of cash flow. Um, actually, this is, this is a full story, actually. So I'll give everyone a bit of the numbers. So once upon a time, we used to charge out individually per week, $97 a week. And that was just our core offer. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. We had a lifetime value expectancy of like mm, 38 weeks, thereabouts. Yep. Right? So we'd make on average, let's say, call, call it 3,800. That was cool, but from a cash flow perspective, especially when we opened the facility here, um, and the facility's not monetized. It's just for me, my staff, and my friends to train in, create mm-hmm. some cool content if we want to, right? Which is awesome. Yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking stressful. It's so cool. But yeah. it's it's definitely cool, and it's played out the way that I, I wanted it to. Stressful so. in what regard? The, the Just the cost of having the facility? Yeah. yeah. Well, going from an online business that has no outgoings other than paying staff, yeah, to be like, okay, cool, now we have pretty much used all of our capital build to build this thing, get the equipment that I just had an ego around. Like, oh, I want that. Yeah. Right? Like, is it really necessary to have branded plates for place that people don't come? Yeah. No. Yeah. But it was cool. So I made an emotional decision. Yeah. Generally emotional decisions in business aren't great, but yeah. it's paid off. Um, so that was like all of the, all of the outgoings kind of came in with the, the facility. I'm like, okay, well we're still good. Like we're still doing lots of revenue, but I'd rather a upfront injection into cash flow. So like things just look more healthy. Um, so we moved to a $2,000 model up front for 12 weeks. We then had, like, we had a really good conversion rate of that. We had about 83% conversion, but the problem was- From sales call? Cool. Yeah. 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 So um, I'll give you the full numbers. We had from, on average, before like things blew up, now we probably do about 50 to 100. I know that's a big broad spectrum, 50 to 100 like organic lead gens or lead acquisition per week. At the time, we were probably doing about 17 to 20 of organic lead right. flow coming in of actual inquiries, not downloads, just people actually wanting to book a call. Mm-hmm. From that, let's, let's call it, we'll round it up to 20 for easy numbers, right? We're actually, we'll round it down to 15, making them whatever. 15 people coming in per week. We only had a 17% booking rate. So they'd inquire to book, but right. only 17% of them would follow through. Right. So that was pretty shit. Mm. We implemented all of that automation that I spoke about previously. So there was like auditory follow-up, text follow-up, email follow-up where they nurtured through. Yep. In the space of seven days, we pushed that to 78% conversion into booking. Yeah. Right. So from inquiry to booking pushed up to roughly 80%. We then all have, we have maintained about an 80 to 85% sales conversion from sales calls for nearly three years. Wow. So it, once we get people in the flow, like I know my team was sweet. Yeah. Right. Um, but the problem that we had was when we were doing that $2,000 up front, we were essentially like seeing a drop off rate at the 12 weeks because it was a paid as a package. We were then having to resell at like week 10 or 11 for them to go into a reoccurring model. Another one. Yeah. And due to human so error. So some customer value dropped down. Mm. Yeah. Due to human error, like coaches were just forgetting. 
staff were just converting to like forgetting to um book rebook a, a sales call yeah and then we've gone from like a 38 week average of lifetime value to 12. Mm-hmm. we probably only re-sign about 20 percent of those right so what i started to realize is when you go paid in full and like it's very popular in our industry like be high ticket be the high ticket model that's great but you need a plan of like reoccurring revenue as well because it's yeah. amazing for cash flow taking that injection but then it's like what happens next mm. So what I figured out was that there was a psychological proclivity to buy in when people pay more. Obviously, there's a, a big status play there. Yeah, People will work harder. They'll be more committed. But once they've injected a large sum of cash, the repurchase rate drops off because they feel like they should have got what they need in that package. Mm. Right. So what we started to do then, and I started to future frame and future think and go, okay, well, one day we will do marketing if we need to. One day we will. So how can I liquidate the cost of marketing in the first transaction fee? of that client sticking with a high ticket model what we what we eventually shifted to was it's 750 dollars up front for the first four weeks mm-hmm. then it moves to 150 dollars weekly ongoing right so it's just like anything first four weeks uh if we can if we can get that initial injection of cash to out outweigh any potential marketing spend we would have like we're never going to spend 750 dollars to acquire a lead nah. so now the leads essentially liquidate the whole marketing cost Every new person we sign up, if we were to market, we could actually, for every one we take on, we could actually take straight back. But it's just a matter of spending as much money as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Becomes a machine that if we want to turn that on and go down the road of paid marketing, we can. Whereas right now, we, we just can't. Like, I don't have the staff, don't have manpower. Capacity, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's it's uh, it's super interesting and cool to hear how that whole process played out and even how it looks now. Um, what, are the t- what type of clientele do you typically attract or trying to attract? Um, to be honest, man, we're not really trying to attract anyone specific. I think that kind of goes a bit, a bit against the grain. Mm-hmm. Like we've never niched down into a specific market. We just so happen to attract about 80% female. Okay. Uh, but that's not been intentional. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a very important lesson for a lot of people at home to learn is that we get told that, you know, in, in, you know, our American accent is, you know, riches are in the niches. You need to niche down. You need to get clear on your product, which I agree if you're doing paid marketing and paying for the leads because mm-hmm. you need to talk to an audience. But if you're yep. still in that phase of growth and um, call this a, a belief statement, call this anecdotal, I believe that you can grow to at least a $500,000 business without paid marketing, which means you can realistically work with anyone. Mm-hmm. We, as I said, I, we just so happen to work with about 80% females that are between 24, last check, 24 to 29 um, which has actually been a really hard market to work with at the moment because of the current landscape of like the 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 housing market. Everyone's yep. finances are just being destroyed. Yeah, and being a high ticket product, mm. it's somewhat problematic. Yeah, um, that's where we've just created a secondary product where it's like really low barrier entry, really low barrier entry, um, app driven or a little bit more automated, goal specific programs, not so customized and no check ins, and it's super affordable, super cheap. Just a one to, one time purchase. Uh, weekly weekly fee twenty two bucks a week. Okay, yeah, but we don't advertise it. We don't actually front face it anywhere. It okay. just acts as a net for people when if, if they if we become too expensive, they want to leave. It's like, cool, do you want to do this? Yeah, cool. And that just extends lifetime value even further. Yeah. Interesting, man. What do you think, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like you delegation-wise, you would kind of palm off things that you hated, didn't mm-hmm. enjoy. What are the things that you feel like are your biggest strengths that you've really played into within the business? I love sales, bro. I, I don't know how, but I grew into a, a bit of a beastly salesperson and I will still love, I still love taking sales calls now. Um, right. 
and just addressing the emotional needs of people. And like, again, I think like manipulation and intention, are, sorry, like manipulation and sales are very different um, and they're only governed by intention. So if you're intent to help people, sales can be very fun, very authentic and very cool. Mm. If you're just sitting there just trying to get a dollar, you can feel pretty, pretty slimy. Yeah, you can come across sure. pretty slimy. I think like the, I think it comes back to what I said before. I never really had a passion for the helping people in regards to just coaching. I fell into that. I got good at it. And I soon, I eventually loved it. Mm-hmm. But one of the first things that I wanted to delegate out was actually front-facing service, coaching yeah. clients. Yeah. But now, like the things I love now is like I love the leadership side of like running a business. I love like mm. upskilling the team, teaching them the skill set, and actually, um, there's a I can't remember, I think it's Jocko Willing that said this, but it's like give credit and take blame, and that's something that I try and live by within the business. So any opportunity I get to just throw the credit to the the team and go like you guys are killing it, and anytime things fuck up, it's like yeah, it's my fault. Yeah. Um, and I like, I really enjoy that. It's a big, like, it's a bit of a, a weight to bear sometimes. Cause sometimes like with any business, no matter how good it is and how anti-fragile you are, it's like shit hits a fan. It's like, it's not fun. Yeah, for sure. And I wear that burden, but yeah, I think the the things I enjoy doing now is probably upskilling, man. Just upskilling the team. Love doing like sales, mock, like mock sales running through yeah, like, interesting. you know, sales. Um, Who are some of the, the sales, uh, personalities that you've kind of leveraged information from and, and taken as much value from? Um, I think, man, unfortunately, I wasn't very exposed to sales as a as a skill set. I think it's largely just been fail, like fail into some sort of like system. Right. So more recently, I've kind of just uh, dove into like a little bit of Grant Cardone and a little bit of like Hormozy. I've been into yeah. Gary V. I've done all that in like more so in the last two years. Mm-hmm. But I built the business to a seven-figure business before I even consumed any sales-based content it was just there's like something that i'm very big on it like um it's weird like people around me like you're you're a weird dude sometimes but for the last like i'd say six years and i've like i've got a little black book probably six of them now like what you have next to you Mm -hmm. off every sales consult i ever did and i've always just had a a rule of three so one thing i did well one thing i did bad and one thing i need to focus on next time Mm. and i've done that for six years how long do these sales calls typically go for uh, now, mm. now I can get a good sale in about 20 minutes. Right. Used to try and beat it into the head about take 45 minutes. My intention was bad back in the day though. It was just like, how do I get the dollar? How do I get the dollar? Right. And it was very like convincing based sales. So I think you've got, you've got three types of sales, right? So you've got feature based sales. So people list out like the things that are in the program, right? Then you've got benefit based sales. So how it actually, how those things help the person achieve whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And you've got solution based sales, which aren't feature driven at all. It's just like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. How can I help? Interesting. So that's something that like, and the further you go up that scale, so feature-based sales, for example, like um, if we look at like personal training industry, right? Feature-based sales, like, oh, you get a program, you get a nutrition plan and you get access to my Facebook community, Yeah. right? Benefit-based sales is like you get a program, so you're not wasting time in the gym and you can actually know what you're doing. You get a nutrition plan, so you can trust your um, education around nutrition to start to feel better Mm -hmm. and you get community support in our group, right? Yeah. But it's still a tied to a feature, yeah, right. And the the further down that feature road you go, the more desperate and slimy it will feel. Mm. Not only from a sales cycle, but a buying cycle. Yeah. The more you go up to solution based sales, it's more just a conversation about what's your problem. Okay, cool. What have you tried? Great. You understand why that didn't work? Amazing. Cool. This is the path forward. This mm. is a solution, and it will actually help. Yeah. Love that. What uh, outside of business? Like, do you what what do you spend your time doing outside of business? I'm assuming the minimal time that there is outside yeah. of business. I'm a very big Netflix guy. Yeah? Yeah. I just like binge fucking shit. I binge shit on TV. What's, what's your go-to at the moment? 
Oh, man. Actually, I'm rewatching Power. It's on stand. Oh, fuck, man. Power's so good. Beast of a show. So good. I'm assuming you watch all, like, Ghost and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Update yeah. fully, but I'm, I've started... It shits like, me how they just fucking stop all the time, though. so annoying. It's bro. like... They Binging like TV should just be like... stop for a week, and then it's just like, oh, man, they should just put the whole season out. I agree. I'd binge in it a day, though. Once. That'd be the problem. Yeah, same. But outside of, the other outside day of that, bro, With McGregor's new documentary... I've heard that's fucking good. I've yeah, heard it's really I'm good. Binge the shit out of that Wednesday night. Do you have a problem though? Like I, I always, I did this recently with um the Nike Air movie, right? I haven't seen that yet. Great movie, right? Whenever I go watch anything that's got any sort of like you know the underdog character or the the come up story or you know just some sort of motivation, I get all antsy in the cinema and I'm just like, I gotta go fucking work. Go do something. I gotta yeah. go do something with this. Like yeah. And I don't know, man, I think outside of, outside of work now, I don't do much to be honest. Hang out with my dog. He's a legend, super fun, super anxious, but he's like me. So, yeah. um, other than that, man, I, I, honestly, bro, I don't do much, but I like work. Like I optimize for happy and work makes me happy at the moment. And I'm very like, even when I'm stressed, like generally stressed about work. So I was like, go do the work cause it will get less stressful. Get less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, do you do anything, take care of headspace daily? Like, is there any certain things that you, you like to do to obviously one, take care of mental health, but two. Um, just to boost productivity in the workplace and clarity and whatnot. I think for me, like, I'm not one. I'm not. I'm not big on daily routine. Um, one because like I think I'm undiagnosed, self-diagnosed ADHD, and I'm very like sporadic and I'm very everywhere. But I see a therapist regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I like speak to a psych every fortnight, and I have done for the last two to three years. I'd say awesome. Um, even when things are good, like I just like to. I really like to understand my. I'm a very objective person, right? And it's something that like, even just in my personal life, it becomes somewhat problematic of like understanding emotion and processing on emotional level, right? I'm, I'm the first person, if something, if I'm sad, I'll cry, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm stressed, I'll sit in the shower, right? Like I'm the first to own my emotion, bro. The amount of business ideas that I've had sitting in the shower crying, oh, man, true. game, game changing. The shower, the shower is a fucking good place to think, isn't it? Yeah. That's the, man, for me, that's where I go when I'm sad. It's just like shower fixes everything. Right. Right. But. Um, so I'm not afraid of my feelings, but it's more so like if, if I'm dealing with someone else's feelings, right, I'm very, because I'm very solution driven and because I'm, I think always in business mode, I very, I, I can empathize and be like, well, if I felt, if I was doing that, I would probably feel shit too. Mm-hmm. Or if I had experienced that, I would also feel shit too, but I don't sympathize very well. And I don't very, I don't often very, I don't sit in and go, oh, well, I feel sorry for you because, well, I know the solution. And I very much like. Right. treat myself like this too so when things get hard it's very much like okay what's the solution the obstacle is away move forward mm-hmm. so i like to understand my objective thought process so i can get better at them yeah and that's why i see a therapist like i think it's an important thing to open myself up to more emotion and mm. be more understanding more and be more empathetic and you know learn i guess the art of sympathy but um at the moment it's something that it's not a strong suit mm-hmm. and i'm very solution oriented all the time mm. so from a mental health perspective, that can be challenging because I'm always on, always looking for the next step and never actually sitting there and like dealing with how I feel. Yeah. Very rare that I sit there and go, all right, I'm stressed. I need to sit. I need to stop. Mm-hmm. I kind of throw myself forward a lot. Um, but my wind down time, man, as I listen to like, uh, what are they call beta, beta waves and beta, beta tones. Binaural beats. Yeah, things, that's yeah. one. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, like, I'll do that at least either end of day guaranteed. I go to sleep to it, but at least once, maybe twice throughout the day turn all my stuff off and I just come and sit in here and this room is like, it's like a little fish. Yeah. So I put it on through the speakers and I just sit here for five minutes and just try and stop. That's epic. Speaking of this room with the podcast, how long have you been running the show now? Oh man, I'd say maybe two years. 
maybe two years. Okay. Started off as another podcast. It was like a fitness specific podcast. We still okay. run that, but I've outsourced that to the team. Yep. Um, and then maybe, maybe a year of running like the more business one. Interesting. And how have you found it? Like you enjoy, you enjoy recording? I love, I love podcasting. I kind of threw myself into the deep end though. Mm. Like the, the business rewind before we had this space, like what year and a half ago was running out of the spare room in my house. Yep. And we started a podcast. We'd done one episode and it was like at the week later I came and signed all this. Oh, oh, right. I want a podcast room. We'll make that a thing. Yep. And because Pat, again, he deserves all the credit in the world, but he loves spending my money. <laughs> and he's like, no, bro, we what need is, the best shit. Yeah. What? Oh, I'm super keen to hear at least a rough estimate of what do you reckon this room costs to set up? This room, probably 25 to 30. Crazy. And most of the money coming from what? Uh, actually soundproof. Soundproofing, really? to be honest. Yeah. So- the, the walls have um, a double-battered insulation. They have a lead lining, then a um, then plaster, another lead lining, then plaster. And you guys did that? Yeah. Oh, well, like... Jesus Christ. The, the plaster, no. But all the rest of it, I was like, oh, cool. I had a bit of a background in music, so I was like, okay, well, I know how to soundproof shit, mm. so we'll make it work. And then all of, like, the foam behind, behind me here there. Yeah. In the roof, like... It's, it's very impressive, I... I really like it in here, man. You've done a great job. And, but it's one of those things, bro. It's like, it's cool, but I didn't expect it to cost all this much. Yeah. Pat comes in and goes, yeah, we need these lights. We need these mics. We need everything. I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's go. Oh, it's done now. Yeah. Too late, yeah that's a problem. For, that's another day's problem. Have you seen, have you seen much um, business come off the back of the podcast? It's actually surprisingly one of, I think like, it's funny, actually, I read a comment on one of my posts today. Um, it's just like the barrier for entry for podcasts should be higher. Like TikTok's a fucking horrible pace. Like people are always very hateful. Yeah. But I think I could not disagree more. I think the barrier for entry for podcasts should be as low as possible. Everyone should have one because anyone that has anything to say will have clients that will listen. And our podcast, the fitness-based one, is a huge acquisition system for us. The amount of people that reference us or like saw you guys or I downloaded your thing, I then got redirected to listen to one of your podcasts somewhere along that flow. Um, you're actually really funny. Seem like you're like, normal people yeah like i want to work with matt or i want to work with pat because they're the guys that host it they get requests all the time mm. and if you can find stuff to talk about that is not your business related so whether it be fitness whether it be fucking meat, meat packing right have a podcast and talk about just your life because people buy people every day yeah so i think we've got a massive benefit from it not from really just from an acquisition pipeline but also just a nurturing perspective like our clients start to learn who their coaches are build trust with the audience yeah, yeah. fuck yeah What's the plan? Like, what's your, what's like the vision or the goal for you at the moment for the business? Like, obviously you've got this space, as you mentioned before, it's not an open gym to the public or anything like that. Like, how do you see the next few years playing out and what's like the, the ideal outcome in say three years time from, from now? The North Star currently is to hit a five mil top line in revenue and at least with a $3 million profit margin. That's the North Star from a monetary perspective where we should hit it in the next, I'd say, two years conservatively. Um, all in the hopes to hopefully grow it further. And like one of my big idols right now is Hormozy. And I want to get in front of him. I want to put him into the business. I want to essentially apply at acquisition.com and go, hey, help us grow. Mm. So for us to do that, we need $3 million in, in EBITDA. So that's the North Star. Um, as for the space in here, we've got some plans. So it's not an open space. It's not... When I, when I first like built this place... I had two things in mind. I wanted it to have the best equipment that I could possibly get. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be private. Reason I wanted that was because of COVID. Um, I was very blessed in the time that I got access to a gym when everything was closed. And 
it was me and one friend in this huge gym with great equipment. Mm. Like that's a pretty cool luxury. Yeah, fuck yeah. And when gyms opened back up, I think I developed like a, weirdly enough, like I'm a generally pretty anxious person, right? Like I, I suffer with anxiety all the time. I think it's just probably something like the, the whole I've dug with it, the life I have mm-hmm. with being into business. It's just a stressful environment. Um, so I get anxious and that's never really, never really, I guess, crossed over into the world of fitness for me. That was like always my escape. Mm-hmm. Post lockdown though, going back into a normal gym, I was like, it's people here. Yeah. This is pretty anxiety inducing. I don't like this. Yeah. Right. And like, I went to some great gyms, like, and that's no hate to the other gyms. There's amazing gyms, great culture, but it was a me problem. And I then was waiting in line one night at a gym in the rain because all the saturation limits in gyms at the time. Yeah. True. I was like, fuck this. And the next day I went and signed here. Signed the lease for this. Yeah. So it was like, it was a pretty impulsive decision, but mm. When I made that impulsive decision, like I don't believe I don't believe emotional decisions business are ever a good idea. So, just like with sales, people buy an emotion, confirm with logic. I made the emotional decision to go like I don't like being around people when I train anymore. I don't want to wait in the rain and I want my own private thing. So I'm going to go do it, but I'm going to justify it with as much logic as I can. And how can I make this make sense? So the goal for the the, the place here was to make more content than our competition could ever make. And we I had this goal of like all right, we're going to be omnipresent. I don't know how much it's going to take. I don't know if it's 20 pieces of content a, a week or if it's 400, but I'm going to find the spot and we'll do that. So that was like goal one. And the moment that we got enough equipment here to do so, we started mm-hmm. and we started recording like crazy and that grew the online model further. But we do have plans to leverage the space a little bit more from a bit more of a close to home perspective, like something I now miss. It's like one of those things, the grass is always green on the other side kind of thing. Mm. I now miss the culture of a gym. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually in the in the coming months we're going to open up the Limestone Lifting Club and it's going to be a free thing. I'm not going to monetize it because again the whole purpose of this place was just to have a place that was comfortable to train in, had the best equipment, and create good content. Mm-hmm. So we're going to create the Limestone Lifting Club. It'll be once a week. Open it from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. In invite only to people that we want around that we want to train with. Cool. You'll be one of them. Beauty. Um, and people can come in and essentially treat it as a content creators gym. So we will have. Cameras stationed around the whole place, pick it up, go, film your shit, all good. Awesome. And that way, like, not only can I, like, I guess, facilitate my own selfish needs of training around some like-minded people, because that's one thing I found that, like, my training has suffered since doing it on my own now for the better part of a year. Mm. Like, when my staff are in here and I train, I just so happen to hit PBs. Like, maybe there's a bit of yeah. something to that. So, yeah, we'll open up Limestone Lifting Club. Won't, we won't monetize it. It'll just be a community-driven place. Um, and that's, that's some short, short term plans, long term. It's, I want it to be a place that we can educate the industry. So I host seminars here, not just business seminars, but, uh, we'll soon be hosting, um, a couple international guests here. I haven't yet announced. Awesome. Um, yeah. Fantastic. What, with the content, I'm just interested to, to understand. So putting out three, what was it? 300 pieces of short, 250, content, 250. Yeah. Thereabouts. What, uh, how much are you filming? Or how much are you, how, how many, like what does the actual recording and filming process look like to get that amount of content for the week? Is it something you're doing every day? Are you batching over one day or how does that look like? One thing that I think most people that any sort of content creator, any sort of someone that like film shit for business, the first hour is generally crap. Mm. It's still warming up. Your words don't flow. Nothing moves in the way it should. So I have six staff. We have each staff member has 30 videos they need to film, Right. We accept that the first five will be crap. 
So we film them anyway, but once this, the ball starts to roll, all right, cool, we're good now. We just delete the first five, right? And we step, we move forward. So there's 25 pieces of content from one film day, mm -hmm. six staff, yep. right? So 25 times six, whatever the math is, right? I then refilm all of those pieces of content um, myself, and I'm the only one that's front-facing on LinkedIn. And because like the others are going to be more personality, more driven, yeah. all that kind of stuff. The LinkedIn stuff, I'm the most relatable because we're trying to target business owners. Mm. So I so it's all the LinkedIn LinkedIn content you're posting video. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. We only did it for a couple of weeks and then it, everything blew up. So we've actually paused all of our content production at the moment and we're still just going with TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, but that's all we've been able to keep up with the current lead flow. Um, but we did for a number of weeks, maybe six, seven weeks, 250 pieces of content. And LinkedIn was all just repurposing everything that all my staff had already filmed. Mm-hmm and doing it in a business mentality, right? So relating it to CEOs rather than yeah. to uh, young women in the, in the gym. Yeah. It's like we're having the same problem to male or female CEOs. Mm -hmm. um, so I repurposed all that. And that's essentially our, our content plan. So we have staff come in once a month. We film a full day. The first five, the first five to six videos are crap. We can them and we make sure that they are the, the last five they film the next cycle around. Say that again. So the first five are crap. Yeah. The next time they come in to film next month. Yeah. We make sure those five get filmed last because okay. now they'll be better. Yeah. Right. But the thing is here, because again, people by people, we only actually need 30 pieces of content per staff because we rotate the, the, the subject. Okay. So yeah. next month, client, uh, coach A will be doing coach B's content. Coach B will be doing coach C's content. We just mm -hmm. rotate the person, say all right. the same things. Same shit. With just a different personality. Yeah. Cool. So... We only realistically need 30 ideas per coach. Yeah. We can rotate that and it works. That'll last us out like nine months. Problem solution type um, yep. content. Yeah. Problem aware hook at the start. So are you experiencing insert problem? Yeah. Right. And then we just go base into a solution or anecdotal story. Nice. Yeah. So we uh, we overdo, we do two frameworks. We just go a Pixar framework. So the Pixar, like the way Pixar tells stories is the same every time. Mm. It's one upon, once upon a time, there was a person who, who experienced this and then felt this and then they solved this. Mm. So it's like, are you a person like, um, for example, like yesterday I was speaking to a client and they were feeling, so that's instead of saying once upon a time, yeah. like, yesterday I was speaking to you, they were feeling this, mm. they did this, they experienced that. And now they have five kilos less weight. Yeah. Right. So we either do Pixar framework or pop framework. So it's problem opportunity and uh, prospect. So like actually what's the path forward? Okay. So problem, opportunity, path. They're the, that's our two frameworks, man. And we just beat them into the, into the walls. Fuck yeah. That's awesome. What are you doing for your training at the moment? Has your, has your training split? The training's been like shit. <laughs> I've been like with all of these extra times and, uh, like doing calls, man, I reckon I've probably trained twice in the last eight weeks. Really? Yeah. It's been shocking. It's funny. Like got this beautiful well, gym well downstairs. Rested. Very. <laughs> yeah. Very. Got this beautiful gym downstairs that I reckon I've hardly used. So I don't, I, I've not like, we got a, we got a really cool pendulum squat, um, Citadel strength. They're amazing. Like really well designed, really fucking cool equipment. Mm. I've not used it. My staff have used it and I've sent them for feedback. Like, Hey, everyone's saying it's great. I've not mm. used it. We got it like six weeks ago. Fuck. It's crazy. What would the equipment downstairs? Cause you, you ordered during COVID, during lockdown? Uh, just, yeah. Just after. Just after. Oh, actually, no, we, we would have ordered during one of the lockdowns. Yeah. What was the fit out cost? Uh, in total, we're yeah. looking at just over 500. Fuck oh, me, man. That's yeah. crazy. The whole facility. If you hadn't have done it with, so for those listening, the, the equipment down here is incredible. Like 
the fucking best type of shit you could possibly get. If you if you were to have done it, still in still same pieces of equipment, but at a like a generic brand. Yeah, maybe one hundred and twenty five. Jesus man. Yeah, pay for luxury though. Yeah, fucking hell. Like, and that's like it's something that's like it's top down from like who like I couldn't really sit there with great integrity and go, hey, we're going to be the most expensive coaching company, but we're going to skimp on our equipment. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's all going to be aligned. And it's like it does come back down to although we don't have it, like the gym is not accessible. It does actually come back down to can we charge more for the fact that we have a gym that people can't come to and they want to? Hell yeah. So our product that is online, we can dangle this carrot that, hey, we have occasional VIP nights or VIP events in here mm-hmm. for people that refer the most amount of clients into our company. You can actually come and use the gym once a month. Mm-hmm. Really good referral strategy. Yeah. Right. So we can leverage what we've built here and not monetize it directly, mm-hmm. but actually have like indirect monetization from our current client base. Fuck yeah. So like, it kind of needed to align with the status of it. one, what they pay, but two, that whole FOMO, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. needed to align. Man, that's awesome. And I've, uh, I've bloody learned a lot in this chat. It's been good. It's been super interesting to get some insight into how this, how you kind of run your system. Because I think within the the online space in particular, you know, like I started online in twenty fifteen or sixteen, right? And obviously, it evolves a shitload over time. And I think the biggest difference when yourself and and me is that my, i'm still in that stage of of it's all kind of me yeah. you know i'm not i don't have any staff but looking at how i can continue to progress and and evolve that side of the business as well it's just interesting to get different perspectives and 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 see the different pathways of how that can happen but you've gone down a different road though man which is still super accessible super um scalable too arguably more scalable because you haven't had to hire staff right so mm. like You've got a product, you may not even be aware of it. It's like it's digital, automated, reoccurring, and evergreen. So it's a, it's a dare product, mm. right? A dare product can go fucking far because it's not reliant on more man, manpower. Yeah. Like for you, it'd be like, how can you outsource the meat, like the medial tasks, like the administrative stuff? Yeah. that's And that's the process I'm trying to go through at the moment is looking at like, what are the things that I can delegate and yeah. and... And the things that would actually free up more time, you know what I mean? And, and give me more capacity to focus on the things that I'm really enjoying most. Um, and, you know, I mean, even small things like I, I used to, up until episode, literally over 300 episodes of the podcast, I did every single thing myself. So even de- starting to delegate, having a producer and, and getting people to film it and getting people to edit and stuff like that, even that was like a big step. But the difference that has made since doing that has been incredible. So now it's just looking at, all right, what's the next thing we can start to do and, and start to systematize a few more things. Yeah. Um, cause there's definitely certain aspects of the business that I absolutely love the fact that it's just me. Yeah. Um, but then there's also things where I think and look at, all right, if I really want to grow this to the point where I, I say I want to grow it to, if I'm being honest with myself, it's not going to happen by me doing everything. You know, it's still got, there's certain aspects of this that, that are really hard to fucking do just by myself without having delegating or, or bringing someone on at some point. So it's just mapping out how that looks. I think though, like there's beauty in that though. Like you said, these, the shit that you're learning that's on your own. Mm. It's like, it's pretty cool to kind of stand there and go like, well, this is me. And like, if I had my time again, like I love my staff and they all know that they're fucking super valuable, but I would have ran leaner for longer. Like yeah, if I had right. my time again, like interesting. We like, I, cause I pay very well, mm-hmm. way above market. Um, and that probably only work 15 hours a week like and they're in fucking good money yeah. so like from a profit margin perspective i probably could have not done that for a yeah. while yeah. i probably could have just done the stuff more mm-hmm. like, and if i had my time again i would mm. so like you know take it was take it as it comes it's like there's, there's these phases in business and growth that are 
you know, you'll be thankful that in two years that you didn't you know, pull that trigger to delegate quicker. For sure. Within your programs, um, before we wrap up, man, like in your programs, what do you think is the point of difference? Like having such a high ticket program, um, as you said, you got the the aspect of exclusivity and the scarcity side of things and whatnot. But what do you think the point of difference is that allows you guys to bring in not only so many leads, but also conversions into high paying clients through an online process where they're not even seeing the coach in person? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I have a lot to say on this, man. So there's, there's, I guess it's a two-part answer, understanding your value proposition, right? So I believe value, I can't remember who taught me this. Um, can't remember. It's got a course online. I'll tell you about it. You can put it in the show notes below. Um, there's a value proposition when it comes to head, head, gut, or genitals. Weird value proposition, but bear with me, right? Mm. Head, you can educate clients, right? Heart, you can create culture and community. Gut, you can give them stuff so that they're never hungry and they've got always more resources and genitals, you're leveraging status, exclusivity, and price, right? Mm. So if you understand those four points of fr- like of that framework, how much, how can you educate clients the best as possible that's not dependent on time leverage, mm-hmm. right? So we use tech, so we use core structures, we have all that kind of stuff. Mm. Community, how can you get your 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 clients or prospective clients be mentored, so to speak, by peers, by alumni, and by coaches? Mm. So we have peer it's private community side of things we have a private community where there's people that are like in the same month of their journey as you right so um if you signed up first of this month you would only be in a community with people that have also signed up in that month mm-hmm. you have a community of people that are a month ahead of you so that know the problems you have and have already and are trying to teach you and essentially drag you forward then mm-hmm. you have coach com- community or coach more so accountability right so the coach is now you know top down yeah right so Knowing that you can educate people, create a better community, provided you community well, I think community is one of the biggest missed um, opportunities, especially in online business, because people think that community is only a in-person experience, mm-hmm. and it's not. Gut, we always just make sure that they're like we don't just give them heaps of resources. We actually, with like our gut uh, portion of like the value proposition, we create like a call it like a product development calendar. Mm-hmm. So this is what's coming. And it's like Netflix, right? You know what's coming next month. So if you're like, considering canceling your Netflix subscription and like, or Stan subscription and there was a new uh, season of Power coming out, you're like, yeah. I'm going to keep that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So we have a product development calendar with not only community events on there, secret events, um, changes in product, app launches, whatever it might be, or new resources. They know what's coming over the next six months. Mm-hmm. So they're now excited to stay for yeah, that thing. Yeah, cool. um, And then we like, Tap, tap it all off with like good exclusivity and good price point, okay. which is all like strategical position. Yeah. And then what's our big point of difference is everything from top to bottom is standardized. So as best as possible, like obviously there's sometimes there's user error or more so coach error, mm-hmm. right? But the one thing that I've tried to create is a standard operating procedure for whether it be coach A, B or C, whoever they go to. Different personality, but the process is the same. Same. Mm-hmm. So what we have is... I think a lot of coaches in our industry fall into this, uh, I guess, the fallacy of like 24-7 support. Mm. It's impossible to to meet that mm. expectation. So we manage expectations really early on the on like day one. We tell we like what our standard operating operating procedures around com- uh, communication is. Like we have twice a day communication points. So AM and PM, each coaches are different, but it's generally going to be around like 9, 10 AM or 5 PM. Mm-hmm. So any form reviews, any questions will be responded to at either end of the day. Mm-hmm. So you have two guaranteed touch points across the day that are inbound. So if you message us, we will reply twice a day. Mm. We have three outbound communication points per week. So a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday. The Monday morning, 
coach sends a, like a, a video. So it's a different video every week. This mm. is the only part that's not automated, but it's broadcasted to all clients. So mm. one video, one send. And it's literally like, hey guys, this is what I did on the weekend. What did you get up to? Let me know if you need any help. It's just personality. Yeah. Right. But what it does is opens that door into inbound communication. Yeah. So now the co- the clients feel like they're getting more support simply because they're actually messaging them. Contacting them. Yeah. And they have something to respond back to. Mm. Right. Wednesday, we do an outreach. Like, how'd you go with your first two days of training? Do you have any questions? Friday is an outreach. Hey, good week. Make sure you enjoy the weekend. I'll get your check-in done for you this week. Blah, blah, blah. At sure. this time. And we, we manage that expectation. So- I think our big point of difference is no one comes in um, with an, a mismanaged expectation. So yeah. we, we under-promise and over-deliver massively. Mm-hmm. And then we have all of the automation in the back end. So I, I think I've got it to a point where I've pretty much fabricated the, the client journey for the first 12 weeks. I know exactly what people are going to go through at what point. Mm-hmm. So our automation reflects that. At week four and two days, they get a message being like, cool, you've generally done this by this time. How did you go? So as we do like our first MPS scoring at week four. Mm-hmm. So like scale of one to 10, how do you feel like, uh, what you pay compares to the value you receive? Yeah. Uh, one being shit, 10 being like, I pay too little. Yeah. Um, scale of one to 10, like how happy you are with your service in general? Scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer a friend? Mm. We know at week four and three days that they're going to be at their most likely to refer a friend. We ask those three questions. If they're in that top 20th percentile of that answer, they get redirected straight into a referral process. Their referral process is pretty strategical. It's voucher based. So we don't actually discount our product. We just write on a piece of paper that it's a voucher. And you have to send it to a friend and let me know who you send it to so I can give them a call. So costs us nothing. All my outgoings as a company are fixed. I pay my staff a wage, not a, um, like a subcontractors. Yeah. So outgoings, cost fixed, anything they bring in top is profit. Happy days. So we essentially will go at week four and two days or three days. Can't remember. It's those three questions. Referral. Hey, do you mind if I shoot you through a, um, a $200 voucher? You pass it on to a friend because you've done so well. And like, I'd assume you want to be, you want to have someone else that you know joining you on this journey too. Mm-hmm. They send them the voucher. We follow up in four days. Hey, who did you send it to? So we can get them booked into a call because we have such high margins on our product. We charge two grand. So now we charge 750 up front. Mm-hmm. We take that 750. We take the 400 off that first injection, right? First four weeks are covered by like what? 150 bucks, mm-hmm. no, 250 bucks. And then they go into a recurring debit anyway. Mm. So we've taken one client in, turned it into two, lost $400, fixed outgoings, Nothing. Perfect. Yeah. So every step of the way up until week 12 and then again up until week 20, I know generally the psychology of what our clients will be provided we've done a good job. Mm-hmm. So I know what questions to ask, ask the right questions, get good answers. That's simple. Mate, fucking got it all figured out. <laughs> Getting there. That's awesome, brother. Mate, um, fuck, I literally say this to like pretty much every guest I have on, but I could pretty much just sit here and just chat. Oh, fuck, I love, I'd love talking this I shit though. talking about all this stuff, man. But, um, but mate, I, I appreciate you having not coming on the show. And fucking more importantly, I, I appreciate you letting me use your studio today. No um, problem, bro. Absolute lifesaver. And yeah, man, the gym here and the studio and the online business and everything is, is fucking awesome, man. It's inspiring. And I've definitely learned a lot from this chat. And anytime we catch up and you know, you. even from our conversation we had on your show was, um, was awesome one of my favorite chats so thank you bro. i really appreciate it man and um i'll make sure the show in the show notes are the links to podcast website socials everything below so everyone can go and check that out themselves and and um and follow along with your journey and um yeah man really appreciate it thanks for the time man pleasure thank you